Greetings to each one here this morning. It's a real blessing to see all of you here, especially all of you travelers that have been many miles and uh, through many hardships and anxious moments, and here we are. God brought us all safely home again, I guess. We're all here, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, it's been a real blessing. And um, it's a blessing to go to Haiti and places like that, and it's a blessing to be stretched, and it's a blessing to see God answer prayers, and it's just a a really amazing thing. May it never become commonplace to us, and when we get into tough situations, we turn to our God, and our God delivers. Amen. It's just so exciting. This morning, the uh, message that I have that God laid on my heart, the title of it is The Great Mystery. And as I was sitting here, I was thinking, I think I'll add to that, The Great Mystery of Redemption. It's, uh, the title is taken out of Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 32 there. Where Paul is talking about the, um, he's talking about marriage, and then he says, but it is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And I think this morning, as we think about that, we just, it does us good. It does us good to go back and ponder those things again and again. The mystery of redemption, of what we have been redeemed from, and how we have been redeemed, and and I just I would just like to uh, to go back through that and and just just renew in our minds the uh, the blessing of redemption. I'm going to be spending most of uh, the morning here in the, in the book of Ephesians, chapter one, two, and three. And as we study the book of Ephesians, we we realize that those first three chapters are primarily to establish in our hearts our position in Christ and what God has done for us and what that means for us. And as we go through the first three chapters of Ephesians and then we get into chapters 4, 5, and 6 and we say, okay, now this is how we live because of this. And two, the other thing is that just stood out to me as I went through this and I studied this again. And, and I realized that Paul spent quite a few years in, in Ephesus and, and as the church was being established there. And, and Paul was there. He was there. And he taught them and he walked with them. And he, uh, he instructed them. And then later when John was on the Isle of Patmos and He was writing to the churches, and he wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said, you know, uh, you have a lot of things going for you, and and you do this, and I appreciate that, and you you hate the Nicolaitans, and just on and on. But he said, there's one thing that you're missing, and you're going to have to change, and that is that you have left your first love. And so here we, we, we study the book of Ephesians. This is the letters that Paul wrote to the, to the church at Ephesians, the, at Ephesus there. But they forgot. 
And that's one of the reasons I think that God would have us to re-evaluate these things and and periodically go over them again. Although we we know the story of redemption. We we know it like the back of our hand. and, and, And I feel like almost like I'm preaching to the choir because these things that that Paul is writing to the Ephesians here that we know them as good as they do. But there was a danger that they left their first love when years later. And he said, unless you change, we will have to, uh, you will cease to exist to be a, to be a church, basically. <clears throat> Paul writes more about the mystery than any, any other writers do. The, the, the word mystery itself comes up again and again in Paul's writings in the New Testament. And I think it's primarily because Paul was a very religious man and Paul grew up knowing the, knowing the Bible as they had it. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he studied it. He studied religion and he studied the things of God like he knew them better than almost anyone else. But there was a mystery that he missed. And that was, it was somehow this thing was a, was a hidden thing to him. And, and the day came when God revealed his son, Jesus Christ, to Paul. And it was like scales falling off of his eyes. And he saw clearly something that he had never seen before. And to Paul, it was a, I think he considered this the great mystery. And it's, a, it's even today, it's exciting when we think about it. It's a great mystery, but it's the mystery that the world needs. It's the answers, the answers that mankind needs. And here we have it. And I'm excited about the book of Ephesians. I just love that book. I've studied it a lot over the years. And I don't know, I've probably preached out of it or alluded to this, this passage a couple times in the last couple years. And I, but forgive me, I'm going to say it again. I love the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Let's start here in chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. And this is something I think that just thrilled the heart of Paul through and through when he thought about this and he thought back of all of the years of his training and teaching and all of the years of his being a Pharisee and and being a Jew and having to go make sacrifices every year and, and just the rituals that they went through and all of a sudden here he's he's come upon this the redemption 
our redemption is through the blood of Jesus. Not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through the blood of Jesus. The perfect sacrifice, the true son of God that came down from heaven, that took away the sin of the world. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And I think that just, I can just see Paul almost shaking when he's writing this. The mystery of God's will. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. And here on, in my little column, side column of my Bible, I, some, it looks like it's been there for a long time. I've got a note here that says, Oh, glory. <laughs> if that doesn't thrill our souls, brothers and sisters, nothing will. to think that here we are in this land of the dying, in this land, in in this world that is, and there's there's an opposition. There's a spirit of darkness out there that would destroy us and distract us and would, would shake us off of our way. And here we have these promises. The same thing that Paul had, the the things that Paul understood for the first time back in those days, and he and he's he's writing to the to the Ephesians here that that they would understand this mystery. And I think he would do the same for us if it was if he was writing to us here this morning. And by the way, these letters are to the churches. They are for us. Verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's a lot of big words in there, but I think we understand that. Paul is is pleading with God that, that somehow he would open our eyes, that we could see this great mystery, and that it would never grow old, and that we would never forget what we have been delivered from, and how that we were delivered. And this mystery of redemption that somehow we can be changed from the inside out and we can become new creatures in Christ. <clears throat> Verse 
with an inheritance. And what the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. <clears throat> it's that power. It's that power of Christ in us that allows us to bloom where we're planted. If you're, No matter if you're planted in the middle of Haiti where the tires are burning, and the people are evil and the, and, the, and the forces of evil prevail. You're in the middle of that thing. You can still bloom like an orchid in the, in the jungles of Africa. Because of this power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And that power is extended to us. <clears throat> the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will allow you to bloom where you're planted. Do you believe that, that, brothers and sisters, this morning? No matter what your circumstances, somehow, even if you're just a little weed this tall, you can bloom because of that power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that empowers us to do the impossible. When we think that life is over and we think that we're at the end of our rope and, and the knot is frayed and we can no longer hang on, we have that power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that God extends to us. That we can have victory over sin. We can have redemption. We can be redeemed. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That is our king. That is our king, brothers and sisters. And he is the one that redeemed us with his blood. He wants us to be fellow heirs with him. <clears throat> and this is the great mystery. The great mystery that God wanted to redeem his people, all people to himself, not only Israel. And as we will see in chapter two, the Gentiles with the Jews, redemption was for all of us. <clears throat> Do we believe that this morning? It's exciting when you get down on your knees and you're born again and you feel the weight of sin roll off of your shoulders and you feel like you're walking on air and, 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 and it's so new and it's exciting and you're so free, but we have a tendency to forget. And I guess that my burden here this morning is that I would like to renew that in our hearts and our minds that Redemption, is, even though it's a great mystery, it has been revealed to God's people through Jesus Christ. We have that. 
We have the cure that the human race needs. We have the cure in our hand. And what are we doing with it? <clears throat> like Brother Darrell shared this morning, a, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. <clears throat> Redemption. Redemption that is real in your life cannot be hid. Redemption as it flows out of your life will make a difference. It does make a difference. And it's a great mystery. But it has been revealed to us. And here we have it. Chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I don't think we need to be reminded that that used to be who we were. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Such a wonderful message for God's people. Then also a message for the world that is walking in trespass and sin, there is redemption. There is redemption there that, that you can change. You can no longer, you do not have to any longer be the children of wrath, even as others. You can, you can be made new. We know that's what Haiti needs. We know that's what Wellmaniwa needs. We know that's what Riverside needs. We know that's the needs of the world around us. And for the most part, a lot of people, this is still a mystery. They don't understand how this can be, that someone can die 2,000 years ago and it makes a difference for you today. It just doesn't make sense to the guy that, that is is uh, steeped in sin and going his own way. Somehow we have to convince them. We have to show them. We have to portray this with our own lives and our own message that redemption is for them, just like it is for us. And you know, sometimes I think, sometimes we, we allow this to become so commonplace in our own life and we're no longer excited about it And so it's just kind of something like, oh, well, oh, well, I don't think, I don't think that that old man that hangs out down at Bender's Bar and Grill down here in town, I don't think he would understand. I don't think he ever wants to change. I don't, you know, all he wants to do is go in there and smoke and play pool and and drink with his buddies. You know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he never 
was around someone that really understood the mystery of redemption. And somehow maybe that just totally eluded him. He's probably heard it preached in, in church many years ago, but somehow that eluded him. And maybe he needs to be reminded again that redemption is real and it can make him a new man. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made with by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world, in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself one twain, of twain, one new man, so making peace. And I don't completely understand all this, but I'd like to make a little bit of an application. I think sometimes we have built this wall of partition between the church and the world. And we have this faint idea, or we have this in the back of our mind, we have this conscious idea that we... We have it and understand it, and they don't have it and will never understand it. And it's kind of like the Jew and the Gentile. The Gentile was born a Gentile and would always be a Gentile. And the Jew was born a Jew and he would always be a Jew. And there was a wall of partition between that, that it was hard for the Jew to become a Gentile and it was hard for a Gentile to become a Jew. And I think we see the, almost see that same wall between the church and the world again today. And somehow I think the church needs to understand that redemption is for the world. <clears throat> I, don't think the, I don't think that the church needs to become worldly so that the world understands redemption. That's another trap that has been, many have fallen into. That the world, that the church lays down what they've been redeemed from and becomes like the world so they can win the world. I mean, and it's almost, that's a paradox. But somehow the church needs to understand, and I think we all understand that, but I just like to renew it in our mind that redemption is for those neighbors of ours that have been divorced four times and are living in sin and are drunk half the time. Redemption is still for them. Although we don't, sometimes it's hard for us to even think, well, how could they ever make it? And how could we ever untangle all the mess that they're in? But Jesus can do that. Somehow Jesus is, is there for them. And I think we, we understand that. But i just like to renew that in our minds and, and give us a, a fresh look at redemption. This great mystery of redemption is for the world. <clears throat> Sometimes we have this idea that, well, I know that I've thought this, even with, with those in Haiti. You know, they just, they serve the voodoo gods and, and they're a part of the devil and his system and they just, they'll never change and they just, 
They deserve to go to hell. Well, do they really? They're created in God's image. They were made by the hand of the creator God. They could be his children. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both into God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. See, I think sometimes we forget that we were the Gentile that was afar off. We think we have accomplished and we think we have it. But, you know, that guy over there, has, has just no hope for him. He's too far away. We are nigh. He is far away. Well, I think what he's, Paul is saying here is that we used to be, we used to be far away. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. It's a beautiful message. May it never grow old to us. Verse chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read... Ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Gentiles and Haitians and Indonesians and Germans and Americans. That the, that, verse 7, Wherefore, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints in this grace is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. I think it would be good 
as we think about periodically, as we think about going out and reaching out to those around us, that we would go through this and just read this again and again. It's been so renewing in my mind. It's been a while since I've just studied through the book of Ephesians here. But it just it gives us a fire in our bones to take this message of redemption to those that are lost. <clears throat> and just, again, to ponder the fact that we, at one time, were Gentiles. Before we were born again, we were no more lost, no less lost than the, than the alcoholic that inhabits the bars, that drinks his life away, that is wasting his life just on himself. We were, we were as lost as that person before we were born again. <clears throat> Verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend what all, with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that he worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. It's hard for anyone. It's hard for anyone to sell what you're not interested in. It's hard for a salesman to sell what he's not excited about. It's just like you, Brother Vernon. Could you sell Nemo feeds if you fed Purina to your own animals? And you were convinced in your mind that Mormons or whatever is a better buy and you fed it to your own animals, but when you hit the road and went to see your customers, you would push another product. How excited would you be to push that product if you knew in your mind that the better deal was what you're doing at home? You'd be a total failure at, at selling that product if you're not convinced. And I think that's what Paul is saying here, and he's saying... He is praying for those of Ephesus here that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And it is as, as God reveals himself to us and this knowledge comes upon us is what gives us the fire and the drive and the ability to convince others that what we have is of God. If it's just something that you read about, something that you heard about, something that didn't really do much for you, if, it, if you haven't really experienced that life-changing power of redemption in your own life, it's hard for you to give it to anyone else. And I think that's why that sometimes we need to just go through this and say, yes, amen. 
Sometimes I think we need to be like the little children were in the children's class. If you're, if you're saved and you know it, say amen. <laughs> oh, for the uh, simplicity of a child, sometimes they, do, they, out, they outperform us as adults sometimes. Okay, turn over now to chapter 5. Let's look at this again in verse 19 to 32, 33. I'm going to read that portion. There's a lot of meat here in chapter 4 and 5, and we may have time to come back to that. But I have a few points here I want to make in chapter 5 yet. Verse 19 says, Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. the mystery of redemption in marriage. The church and the home are the two most important institutions for the endurance of our Christian faith and practice. There's no two organizations or no two institutions that are more important to the furtherance of the faith for the oncoming generations than the home and the church. And they are under attack by the rulers of darkness of this world. As it says there in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, We wrestle not against against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, of the darkness, of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And these two institutions are so under attack in the world around us and all around us and even here in Wellman, Iowa. The devil would destroy the church and the devil would destroy the home. But redemption saves the day. If we as a church, if we stay focused on the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ, it will vitalize our church where, and it puts a shield of protection over us that the devil cannot penetrate as we 
cling to the blood of Jesus Christ and we never forget what we have been redeemed from and how that we have been redeemed. Is that true or is that false? If we maintain a conscious understanding of the blood of Jesus Christ or of redemption, it keeps us from sin. It helps us win others to our cause. And it, help, and, and it helps us to understand where we came from and where we are today. It's as we forget those things, as we, as we slack off, as we kind of forget our first love to Christ Jesus and the blood that was shed and the sacrifice that was made and the redemption that he gave to us, as we forget those things is when we fall into sin <clears throat> and as we are, the enemy can attack so much easier when we do not have a conscious awareness of the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemption. <clears throat> I see a real parallel between marriage and the church between the home and the church. It's such a beautiful picture of connection between Christ and the church, Christ and his bride, the same as the husband and the wife in the home. <clears throat> And redemption, redemption is as important in the home as it is in the church. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, let's look at, let's look at verses 22 to 24 again. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. And he talks to there in verse 26, he said that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And I think this same principle is, is so vital in the home as, is, as it is in the church. <clears throat> and I think, you know, and, and he goes on here, and he talks about the husband's loving the wife. And love is such an important factor. And love is, love is, is so of, of essence in the home. As that love breaks down, things just fall apart. I heard a preacher say one time, I heard a message and he said, the fastest way to destroy your children is to let a division come between husband and wife. It's the fastest way to mess up your children for life is for mom and dad to just go their separate ways or, or just even just, just be divided. It's the fastest way in the world to destroy your children. And I thought about that and I said, you know, that is so true. Children, the children that, that grow up in a home where there's, there's a a conscious division or a rubbing effect in the home. 
have such a tremendous disadvantage when they meet the world. Their stability is gone. Their, their ideals are shattered just on and on and on. <clears throat> and this thing of the husband, the husband in the home as the redeemer. I heard, I, I heard a, a brother preach one time there in Tennessee. And we were there in the Mennonite church in Deer Lodge. Oh, Ed Silman. And he said, if there's, if you've been married more than five years and you still struggle with what your wife deals with, it's your fault. He said, it's your responsibility to wash her and to sanctify her and to cleanse her with the water of the word. And he said, he's, he's appalled at how many people go through, go through their married life and, and there's, a, there's a, I just can't stand what she does, but he'll never say a word to her. He'll never sit down and, and talk it out and say, you know, this, this is not, you know, could we do something about this? The redemptive heart, the redemptive heart will sit down and say, you know, I, I see you're struggling with this. What can we do about it? And the selfish heart says, I can't believe you did that. There you go again. I, I just can't believe you're like that. We've been married for 20 years and I still can't believe you're like that. You see the difference of the redeemer? I think we should teach our young men, if they want to step up to the role of being a father and a husband, they need to know how to be a redeemer. It is, there, it is the father and the husband's responsibility to redeem the marriage, to redeem the atmosphere, to redeem the home, redeem it from poverty, redeem it from strife, redeem it from, from ill will, ill will and ill wind and all of those things that want to come in. It's dad's responsibility to be the redeemer. Just like Christ came and redeemed the church for himself and he he wants to sanctify and cleanse it with the water of the word. You know what, brothers and sisters? I wish that I would have seen this truth 35 years ago when I got married. <clears throat> but I think this is so vital to longevity in marriage that I think our young men need to understand that it is their responsibility to be the redeemer, just like Christ was to the church. I think sometimes we allow the world to teach our young people about marriage and love and all of those things and, and roses and glamorous honeymoons and all of that. I think we allow the world to teach our young men and our young sisters more then what we as a church sometimes, I think we should be a little more proactive in, in, in guiding and directing. And I'm not saying we're not. I mean, I know we are, but somehow in our day and time, it used to be very, very rare that you hear of a godly marriage in the church that has been going forward for 20 years and then for it to just kind of go their separate ways. 
And somehow, I think it's a sobering reality that all of us know people that we used to walk with and people that we know and people we know they're born again. We know that they understand the redemption of Christ in the church, but somehow they have missed the redemption between mom and dad. And why is it? Why is that? Could it be a key element, a key factor that they weren't clearly instructed of the position of the Redeemer in the home? I know it just makes so much difference in your home. If you as a husband and you see your wife struggling with something and if you just, you say, well, you just need to change. Do you ever do that to your wife? It's your fault. I mean, come on, shape up. You just need to quit that. It's unacceptable. What if it was your job to love her to perfection? To cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. What if you were to apply the principle that Christ came and he gave his very life and he purchased the church to make the church what it needs to be? You see the difference? There's probably not a clearer illustration of that than, than an Old Testament prophet called Hosea. And Israel had fallen to a very deplorable state. They were, Israel at that time was very prosperous and they were, they were a prosperous people. And, but they were, they were falling into Baal worship, into idol worship and all of those things. And God came to Hosea and he said, I want you to take a wife of the, uh, in other words, take, take a, a, a wife of whoredoms, it says, a loose woman to his wife. And I could never understand that. Why that God would tell a godly prophet to go marry a wicked woman. <clears throat> there's not that much in the book of Hosea. There's, there's some eludes. I mean, it eludes to some of these principles. You read more of this in the history books. And if you study history... But Hosea marries Gomer, this lady, and they have two or three children. They have two boys and a girl. And the Bible says, you know, who they, what they named them and all of that. God told them what to name these children because of what's going to come with Israel. <clears throat> but Gomer was an unfaithful wife. And according to history, Gomer left Hosea and she went out and married a rich, prosperous king or whatever he was, I'm not sure, but he had lots of money and he gave her things that that Hosea could not give Gomer because he was a poor man, he was a prophet, he was preaching righteousness and Israel hated him. And so his occupation, I'm not sure what it was, I I don't remember how the story went, but he he didn't make a lot of money because he spent a lot of time preaching and, and trying to warn Israel of the of their unfaithful ways and 
And this was always thrown back in his face that his own wife is the most unfaithful of us all. You know, I mean, come on, preach to your own wife, man. And poor Hosea kept preaching the gospel and his wife left him and she married this other person. And she was went on for a long time. And and one day Hosea was uh, was in the market and there was a slave auction going on. And they were trying, they had this woman slave that they were trying to, to sell and she was all beaten and bloody. And he looks at her and he recognizes this is his wife, Gomer. And they were asking that, that they would, they were trying to get a, a, homer and a, a homer or a homer and a half of barley for this poor wretched slave that was beaten to an inch of her life. And Hosea raises his hand and he said, I'll give 15 pieces of silver and a homer and a half of barley. And they said, sold. And he gathered her up. He had to carry her home. And he nursed her back to health again. And the Bible says that it kind of, there was, it actually, in the, in the second or third chapter where it gives that account, it says that he bought this woman as a slave. But then in my side notes, it says that was Gomer. But it was in another writing that I read, and it, it said that he took her home, and he said, now you will be for me and not for other men, because he bought her back. But it was through that that Hosea's eyes were opened up that this is the love that God has for Israel. And it was after, Hosea, after Gomer was unfaithful and was gone for a while and was a slave, and he bought her back, that Hosea fully understood the redemption plan for Israel. <clears throat> and as we look at that account, I think it also opens up our eyes that this is the complete redemption plan that God would have for husbands for their wives. If your wife, let me just ask you, brothers and sisters, if one of your partners would to leave and to do what Gomer did to Hosea, would you buy her back or him back from the slave auction and pay many times more than what the asking price was? or even the going price for a slave in that day. He put 15 pieces of silver on top of the asking price for this slave. I don't know what 15 pieces of silver equates to today, but it was a lot of money in those days. I'm not exactly sure how the story ends there with Hosea. But I want to think that that Gomer was a faithful woman from that point forward. But he redeemed her. He redeemed her from slavery. Redeemed her from everything else. Could I do that for my wife? Could you do that for your wife? Think about that as the husband and wife situation that he might sanctify and cleanse it 
the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious spot, a church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Or we could say that he might present it to himself, a glorious bride, a glorious wife. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. <clears throat> he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. <clears throat> for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, one mind, one heart, one spirit. <clears throat> <clears throat> you know, and I know we have a lot of young married men here. I'm speaking primarily to you, young brothers. And you say, well, you know, I don't need to redeem my wife. She's, there's nothing wrong with her. She's perfect in every way. I know she is. But she's also human. And one day you will be tempted to see the faults that you no longer, that you cannot even see if she had them at this point. One day you may, you may see something in your, in your dear young bride that you've never noticed before and it just really gets under your skin. Let me put it out to you. It's your responsibility. If it's going to bother you, then it's your responsibility to sanctify her and cleanse her and wash her with the water of the word. And if you can't wash her with the water of the word, then maybe you need to just overlook that fault and keep on going. But it's your responsibility as the redeemer, as Christ was the redeemer for the church. I think it's our, as our husband's responsibilities to be the redeemer of our home. And not that that minimizes the responsibilities for a wife to walk in godliness and to walk in love and respect and honor to her husband, all of that. But my wife has said many times, it would be easy. It's easy. It's easy to follow you if you're in your place. It's easy. And it's the days when I stepped out of my place and I've stepped out of my role as a redeemer and I stepped out of my role as a godly husband and I became a selfish person or I became a self-centered person or someone that had my focus so totally on something else that I forgot my wife is then's the days that she had to struggle with things. And she would over and over, she's told me, she said, it's easy. If you're, if you're walking with God and if you're in your place, it's easy. <clears throat> Let's never forget the mystery of redemption. <clears throat> Chapter 6, verse 10. I'm going to close with this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. <clears throat> 
Brothers and sisters, let us never forget, it's the devil that is out to destroy us. It's the, de- the rulers of darkness that are against us. It's not our brothers and sisters. It's the rulers of darkness against spiritual wickedness in high places or places of authority. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And don't forget, we've been redeemed.